Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Amen. You can be seated. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter number 6 tonight. Second Samuel chapter six, and um, as we come to uh, to our time in the Word of God tonight, I want to ask you to uh, want to ask you to imagine something with me, and I want to want to kind of set the stage, so to speak, and I want if you would to imagine with me a, a play. Maybe you like to go to Broadway plays, or you remember high school plays where you were the star and uh, you had the, that one part that was. Important. Do you remember that, Jim? You had the one key role. You don't remember that? Well, I'm going to have you remember it tonight. Maybe you've been to a play or something like that. I know Hannah and I, uh, we, uh, we enjoy Broadway productions, and we've been uh, to a number of them. But maybe I want you to imagine with me maybe a, a, a Lion King production, or maybe uh, Sound of Music, or maybe you like the, uh, the Phantom of the Opera, or you've been to uh, Wicked, the prequel to Wizard of Oz. Probably the best Broadway production in my opinion, by the way, just so you know. But maybe you've been to, uh, maybe you've been to Cinderella. How many know the story of Cinderella? You know the story of Cinderella and the evil stepsisters and the evil stepmom, and you perhaps know the story. But I want you, if you will, uh, to just imagine with me that play. Think with me for a moment about the actors, all of them being, uh, being in their place. And I want you to imagine with me maybe a large theater stage here this morning, and, and the stage is set, the props are all there, and it's, it's set up like an old village. Many of the opening scenes for Cinderella is the, the, the start of the shopping scene in the village. And I want you to picture it with me, the actors and the actresses, they begin to take the stage, the, the crowd is hushed. The orchestra, if, there's a, if it's a Broadway production, the orchestra begins to play. And people begin to, to fan out and they begin to find their place on this scene, this setting inside of this shopping center in the village. I want you to suppose that everything opens up and people begin to talk and it comes the part where we know, we know that Cinderella is supposed to take center stage. And as the scene begins to unfold, the moment for Cinderella comes, and she's not there. Matter of fact, she never comes out. But the scene doesn't stop, it continues. And it continues with people who are supposed to be dialoguing with Cinderella, they're now just dialoguing with air. They're asking questions and not receiving answers, they're answering questions questions that haven't been asked. It's a totally a one-sided conversation. I want you to imagine with me going to a Broadway show or going to a play and watching it from start to finish, but the main character never shows up. Main character's never there. From start to finish, we watch the entire Cinderella play and Cinderella's nowhere to be found. I wonder if the whole play was done like that. Not one time did we meet Cinderella or hear from Cinderella or see the person of Cinderella. 
If the whole play happened that way, I wonder, would you go back? I wonder, would you invite people and take a friend? I wonder, would you pay the, the $75 or $80 or on some places, $150, $250, $300 for the ticket again? Would, would you do that? No. Why? Because the main character wasn't there. The main, the main role wasn't fulfilled. I'm not going back. I'm not recommending it to anybody. I'm probably, I'm not even sitting all the way through the play. If she doesn't come out by that third or fourth scene, I'm done. I'm, I'm thinking, man, something happened to Cinderella. I'm out. I've got more important things to do. I wonder this morning or this evening, I wonder how many days we wake up, we go through the day, we have conversations, and we do our life. How many times do we come to church and we proceed to go through a service and sing songs and hear messages, go home to start a new week? All the while, the main character never shows up. All the while, the, the main role is never fulfilled. What a tragedy that many times in our daily life and in our church, in our church attendance, not in the church as a whole, but just often in our personal lives, how sad it is that we fail to allow the main character to take center stage. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, I hope you haven't missed it. But the main character of your life is not you. Center stage of your life does not belong to you. No, center stage is his. The throne is his. The key role is, it's his. But how often do we go through life consumed with us? As we come to 2 Samuel chapter number six tonight, we're, we're coming to a place where David where David says, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm not going to make the mistake of kicking the, the main role off center stage. If you'll remember with me, David, 2 Samuel chapter 6, he's finally king. Remember, we've been through 1 Samuel last year and 2 Samuel this year, and we've seen David, anointed king, but really go through just about 20 years before he actually takes the throne of, of both nations, of Judah and Israel of the north. And, and now we saw just a couple of weeks ago, David finally, finally he assumes the role of king. Finally, he takes the throne. Man, finally, he, he defeats the Jebusites in Jerusalem. Remember, we saw it three weeks ago where, where Joab was key in helping him overtake Jerusalem. And we saw that, uh, that incredible defeat of that city with the Jebusites. And then we, we noticed two weeks ago, we noticed two weeks ago where David conquered the Philistines, not once, but twice. David conquers the Philistines. And so finally, finally, Jerusalem is, is at a little bit of a time of peace. Finally, David is king. And it's at this time that we watch as David say, I am not, I'm not going to make the same mistake as the last king. I'm not going to make the same mistake as Saul made. No, I am going to invite God to be the center of this kingdom. I'm going to invite God to, 
to be the center of what we're setting up here. David had this mindset of, I'm going to give God center stage. And tonight I want you to see this with me. And so stand with me if you would, 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're just going to read two verses to start tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. Here's what we read. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose, and he went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah, that would be Kirjath-Jerim, we'll see that tonight. He went with them to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Tonight, as we start, we see David making a decision. It's a, it would seem like, if you're just a casual reading, if you were just casually reading 2 Samuel chapter 6, it would, it would seem like there's not much here. But really, what we're going to find tonight is David making an intentional and important decision to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim to Jerusalem. And tonight, just a quick summary, we're going to see a lot of this, but in the Old Testament, we need to know tonight as we start that the ark of God, the ark of God was always representative of the presence of God. And God's people knew that. And David's saying, God, we want your presence. God, we're going to make you the center because we want you to be obvious. Hey, God, people have left you on the outskirts for a long time. Hey, God, Saul, they, they never sought you like we are going to seek you. And here we find David saying, God, we want you to be in the middle because we want your presence to be guiding our lives. God, I want you to be in this kingdom because I want your presence to guide your people. And tonight I want us to be encouraged to make the same decision that David made, the decision to say, God, I want your presence in my life, and because of that, I will make you center of my life. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, just ask God to speak to you. God, please speak to me tonight. God, please help me to hear from you tonight. God, please show me what you want tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word. Father, I know that uh, tonight I have nothing to offer except for what you uh, would speak through me. And so, Lord, I again just, uh, I ask for your presence in the message tonight. I pray, God, that, that it would be a time of your spirit um, working and helping us to understand the principles that we can find in Second Samuel chapter 6. Lord, I pray that we would have courage to respond to you tonight as you speak to us. And Lord, um, I do love you. Look forward to seeing you, and thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. We're going to see the whole chapter tonight, but I want us just to begin by seeing really the scene, everything that's taking place that we read in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse number 1 and 2. 
What we find in these two verses is is simply David saying, hey, I'm going to take 30,000 men, 30,000 of my choice leaders. And really, when you go to uh, the uh, coinciding passage of 1 Chronicles chapters 13 and 15, you'll find David listing out many of the people, and it's all of the political leaders and religious leaders and his uh, his, um, uh, warriors, his uh, generals and different things like that, 30,000 different people getting all of them in line and taking all of them to Kirjath-Jerim in order to, to grab this ark, the ark of God. It's there that the ark of God has been for quite some time. You say, what is the, the importance of the ark of God? The ark was something that was supposed to be in the holy of holies within the temple. The ark is something that inside of it would be the Ten Commandments, a pot of manna. It would have Aaron's rod inside of there, Aaron's rod that budded would be inside of there. All of it pointing to God's provision and to God's relationship with the the Hebrew people. But that ark would be overlaid with gold. On the top of it would be two cherubims that would be bowing towards the center. In the center of the top of that would be that mercy seat where the blood would be placed from the, the sacrifice. And the, the ark of God was something that Hollywood has dumbed down, but we need to know that the ark of God for the people of God was very significant. The ark of God represented, it signified the, the very presence of God himself. In the New Testament, God indwells us as believers and we become uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, God chose not to indwell man, but God chose to meet with man. God would come upon man and then leave, but then he would always come and his desire was to meet with man. And many times the spot of that meeting happened around the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. So what does David do? Well, David knows that this ark, it represents the power of God. You see, all throughout Scripture, and I won't say this much tonight, I might refer to it a couple of times, but all throughout Scripture, God's people often, they made the ark of God about the ark. They made it about the ark. They made it about the substance of the ark, about the box. And God was always trying to help them understand it's never about the ark. It's about the God of the ark. Hey, it's not about the ark, but the ark represents my presence in your life. And remember, um, remember the sons of, of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Remember what they did? They looked to the ark as a, as a, a special a trinket. Remember, they were losing in a certain war, and they said, well, what are we going to do to win? And one of them said, hey, go get the ark and bring it up, because it will bring us victory. Saul followed suit. Of course, Samuel tried to lead Saul to turn back to God, but Saul followed suit. And while Saul had his times of of desiring God in his life, uh, really Saul looked to God like Eli, like uh, Hophni and Phinehas looked to the ark. He looked to God as just kind of uh, a special, um, special lucky charm, a rabbit's foot. And up until... 2 Samuel chapter number 6, that's what many of the people viewed the ark of God, but David got it. David understood that the ark represents not a box. The the power is not in the ark. The power is in the God of the ark. And God, we're going to move the ark here because we need you here. And so David, he goes to this village where the ark is kept to Kirjath-Jerim, just, just six miles from Jerusalem. 
And after many generations, he is now bringing it to Jerusalem to be the, the center of the kingdom. He wants to lead the people to make God central in their future and in their lives. And you see, for years, for years, ever since Eli, for years, God had been on the peripheral. God had been on the outside looking in. God had been on the, on the side notes of his people. And David, he's wanting to lead the people of God to make God central in their lives and in their minds once again. So 1 Chronicles 13 tells us that he gathers all the leadership. And he says, hey, I, I, think, we need to get, I think we need to get the ark here. Not because the ark is something special, but the ark represents God's presence. We need to get the people focused on God again. And the men, they, they say, okay, David. David, that's a, that's a great idea. We need to do this. I think tonight that we would all echo the decision that those men made. We would echo it in our lives as well. I think every single one of us would admit it's important to make God the center of your life. I think, I think all of us would agree to that, wouldn't we? Man, all of us would say, man, yeah, amen. He needs, he needs to be the central part of our life. But as much as, we, as much as we admit to it, I wonder how often we fail to succeed in actually giving him the position of center stage. Tonight, I want to say that we need God's presence in our lives. I don't know about you, but I, I need God's presence as I lead as a pastor. And I need God's presence in my family. I need God's wisdom as I delegate and as I administrate. I need God's presence as I study and as I preach. I need God's presence as I lead my kids and as I try to be a good husband. I need God's presence as I try to reach out in our community and build relationships. And you and I, we need God's presence. But can I say this tonight, that God will never, he will never allow his presence to consume your life if he's not central in your life, if he's not the key thing that you're focused on. And from this passage tonight, I, I want us to discover a few thoughts about making God, making God the center of our life, so that we can really experience the presence that God desires for us in our life. I want you to see, first of all, tonight that God, he, he will never be the center of our life and we will never know his presence when we make it about us. We'll never know the presence of God. We will never make him central when we're making the Christian life, when we're making everything about us. In the passage, David, he says to the men, hey, we're going to go to Kirjath-Jerim and we're going to get the ark and we're going to bring it up to Jerusalem. Notice how the story continues. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. And they, David and the men, they set the ark of God upon a new cart and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. 
and Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord, and all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and timbrels and cornets and on cymbals. Man, they, it was going well. There's a celebration taking place. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah, he put forth his hand to the ark of God and, and took hold of it. For because the oxen, they shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. David, he was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day, a, a breach upon Uzzah. And David, now he's afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David, he would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. What's taking place here? Well, here we read the people of Israel wanting to move the, the ark of God to transport it from Kirjath-Jerim to, to Jerusalem. They're wanting to do the right thing, but they're doing it in the wrong way. We did a whole message on that a few weeks ago, or really it's been a couple months ago now as we started our series in 2 Samuel, doing the right thing in the wrong way. You see, it was the right thing that David wanted to do, get the ark to the center of, of Jerusalem and, and let that be the focus so that people would be reminded of the presence of God. But they did it in the wrong way. You see, they put the ark of God on a, on a new cart and they had oxen pull it to Jerusalem. Now, again, a casual reading, we would say, well, what's the big deal? But as they go, the, the cart begins to shake. It maybe hit a bump or the auction, oxen stumbled. And the oxen stumble and it hits a bump. And Uzzah, he reaches up to steady the ark. No doubt Uzzah was, I think Uzzah was doing this maybe out of compassion for the ark. He was doing this out of just safety. But they were also doing this in ignorance. See, Uzzah puts his hand up to steady the ark and he touches the ark and that was a big no-no. Uh, you were not to touch the, the ark of God. You were, it was a holy thing that you were not to touch. You were not to be involved with. As a matter of fact, God had, had a specific way for the ark to be dealt with. You see, the ark was never supposed to be put upon a, a new cart. It was never supposed to be uh, pulled by, by, uh, by oxen. No, God had designed that the ark, there was special rings that uh, these different staves would go through the rings on the ark. And then the, uh, the Kohathites were to carry the ark a certain way and to, to walk a certain way and to carry it as a burden representing, hey, you need to understand that as you walk with God, there's going to be some burdens. But if he's at the center, he's always going to be in control. And there's so much representation there. And you had certain people who were supposed to carry it in a certain way, but they, in, the, in uh, 2 Samuel 6, they were doing it the wrong way. As a matter of fact, you know what they were doing? They were doing what the Philistines had done. You know what the Philistines did to send the ark back to God? They put it upon a new cart and got new oxen to carry it back. And in verse 7 of 2 Samuel 6, God smites Uzzah for it. 
And Uzzah, we don't have time to look at Uzzah tonight, but he was the son of Abinadab. His brother was Ahio. The ark of God had been dwelling with them for years. They, they knew. Uzzah knew. David, he, he knew. And yet we find them doing that right thing in the wrong way. Because of this, because of Uzzah reaching up and touching that, God, God smites him and everything stops. Now no one knows what to do. David, he is angered and he is afraid. He's afraid and, and frustrated. And so he says, man, how can I bring the ark of God up to my home? How can I bring it back to Jerusalem? I, I need someplace to store it. And Obed-Edom steps in and the ark goes to the house of Obed-Edom. He has enough wisdom and, and courage, enough guts and bravery to say, hey, I'll take the ark. I'll take care of it. And all the people, they go home. Can you imagine how the conversations went as the people went home? I mean, here they were. They were, you know, they were coming out for a celebration. We're making God the center again. Can you imagine them going home saying, man, what is David doing? Man, what is going on? Man, do you know about Uzzah? Man, I'm glad I wasn't up there. I can't believe that he would do this. I can't. The people now doubting the leadership of, of David, perhaps. All because they made decisions. In this instance of 2 Samuel chapter 6, the first time bringing the ark up, they made many of these decisions based upon convenience. It was going to be faster. Instead of guys carrying it, it'd be faster to get it to Jerusalem from Kirjath Jerim. It's, it's just six miles. It, it's, just a, it's just a short little bit. It won't really matter. It's convenient. You know, we don't want to have the burden. We don't want to carry that. The Kohathites, they've, they've already been through a lot. We just took Jerusalem. There's been a war. There's been some celebrations. They've stood in and, and they've done some things and accomplished some things. We, we don't need to burden them with this. And they moved the ark of God the same way that the Philistines did. They simply did what others did. Can I say tonight that when we make the Christian life about us, we make it about convenience. I serve when I want to serve. I go when I want to go. I read when I want to read. I give when I want to give. It's a matter of convenience. If it's convenient, I'll do it. They were doing what was easy and what was quick. And for four verses, things are going well. For four verses, it seems like God is blessing it. And yet after a while, when things got bumpy, eventually someone got hurt. And the same is true in your life and my life. When we make ourselves the, the center of life, when things get bumpy, people get hurt. Usually it's us. Usually it's those closest to us. When we go through Christianity with ourselves at the center, they, things may seem good for a while. But the presence of God is distance. He's nowhere to be found. And so when life gets rough, pretty soon hurt is the result. I say tonight that you and I, we will never experience, we'll never experience the presence of God in our life. We'll never have God at the center of our life when we keep ourselves there, when we make it about us. I want you to notice, secondly tonight, we'll... 
God will never be at the center of our life. We'll never really experience his presence when we ignore his word. Man, you're never, God will never be the center of your life if, if you and I aren't giving attention to his word. In our passage, we read that the ark, it, it goes to the house of Obed-Edom. And there's three months that it's there until finally David goes and he brings it out again. And the second time when David goes, beginning in 2 Samuel verse number 12, David goes the second time to bring the ark, and this time it's successful. This time there's celebration. We're going to see all of this in just a minute. But this time they get the ark from Kirjath-Jerim, from the house of Obed-Edom. Now they get it all the way to Jerusalem. It's successful, and there's great celebration. But during those three months, there's something else that's taking place. You see, during those three months, David's wondering, David's curiosity gets the best of him, and he's thinking, God, why did that happen? And the scripture would lead us to believe that David began to search out in the word of God where the mistake was made. The Bible actually lets us in on a little bit of David's quest in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. 1 Chronicles 15, 1 through 3, it says this, that right at the end of those three months, David, he made him houses in the city of David, and he prepared, oh, now he's preparing, he prepared a place for the ark of God, and he pitched for it a tent. Now he's setting up a tabernacle. Then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David, he gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he had prepared. And notice what David says to the people. First Chronicles 15, verse 12 and number 13. Verse 12 and 13, it says this. It says, David said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord, of, Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. What was David saying? Well, during those three months, what David had done is he had sought the heart of God. How did he seek the heart of God? After due order, he had gotten in the scrolls. He had gotten in the order, the law, the commandments that God had laid down. And David had gotten in and he had discovered, wow, we're to blame. Wow, I, I didn't have a tabernacle set up. I, I, I was putting the, the, uh, the, the ark upon a new cart and we had it pulled by oxen and I left the Levites out of this. Man, we are to blame. David realized that the reason that things went bad was because he had ignored the word of God. He had ignored God's due order. He had ignored the way that God had laid things out. And David, he goes home, he begins to review that, reviews his copy of the scrolls, and finally he realizes, man, it is our fault. God told us what to do, and we just, we just ignore it. And because David neglected the word of God, he ended up angry and frustrated with God. He didn't understand why God allowed Uzziah to die, but if David would have turned to God first, 
If he wouldn't have ignored the word of God, it would have saved him from a lot of hurt. I want us to know tonight that God's presence will never guide your life. He will never be at the center of your life, my life, if I ignore his word. Hey, if I, if I put his word as just a, an outer part of my life, he'll never be at the center of my life. And God's presence will never guide you. He will never, he will never truly be leading and truly be helping when his word is neglected. David neglected the word and he missed out on God's plan and that's exactly what happens in your life and mine. We neglect the word, we ignore the word and we miss out on God's plan. You see, the Bible tells us that his word should literally direct every step. David said it this way in Psalm 119, verse 133, order my steps in thy word. That would be maybe a phrase, direct my steps according to your word. God, use your word to lead every step I take. I say tonight, if you're a believer and you know Christ as Savior and you'd say, man, pastor, I want Jesus at the center of my life. Hey, don't neglect his word. I say it often and I'll say it until God tells me otherwise. But I truly believe that the number one thing the devil fights in every Christian's life, it is, it is not you being a church it is not you wanting to have a good testimony. It is not your language. It is not how you, what you wear or where you go. The number one thing the devil fights in every single believer's life is their time in the word of God. I believe it with all my heart, the number one thing. And I could, I could right now, and I, I, I would not do this, but I could, I could literally just give you story after story and person after person, even in just 10 years of pastoring. And 10 years is really just a drop in the bucket. Oh, it's a long time for some, but I look at it, it's just a start. It's just a drop in the bucket. And I can take you right now to when I was 27, beginning the church, until now, uh, 10 years later, and now that I'm 38, and you know what I've seen is I've seen person after person after person sit inside of my office and, and say, Pastor, I shouldn't have gotten away from the Word of God. And I can take you to the marriages that are falling apart and you, you take both couples, both, both people and you sit them down there and you say, where did it start? And they'll, I, I literally can tell you right now of one person that said, it started because I got away from the word of God. Now listen, this, morning, this evening, I'm not trying to, uh, to condemn your past or a path. I'm trying to help you understand that for the future, I could say, God, I want you to be the center of my will. I'm not, I want you to be the center of my life. I am not going to depart from the word of God. I see tonight that God will never, he'll never be the center of our life. His presence will never truly guide your life when we make it about us. He'll never, he'll never be the center of our life when we ignore his word. But notice third tonight, he'll never be the center of our life when we worry about the opinion of everyone except God. He'll never, he'll never be the center of our life when we worry about the opinion of everyone except for God. Notice the passage. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now they're leaving the house of Obed-Edom. They're carrying the, the, car, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant the way it's supposed to. The, the Levites, the Kohathites are, are taking lead on this. And everything is set up. Everything is happening. And notice what takes place. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. It says, So David 
and all the house of Israel, they brought up the ark of the Lord and they're bringing it up with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of, of God came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, she looked over through a window and see, she saw King David. She saw him leaping and dancing before the Lord and, and she despised him in her heart. After David says to the people in 1 Chronicles 15 that it was our fault, David, he lines out, we just read it a second ago, how everything is going to supposed to happen. And this time, the people, they, they follow the word of God and celebration begins to ensue. If you were to read the story, and we don't have time to read all of first, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 and 1 Chronicles 13 and 15, when you read it, you'll find that as they go, listen, they would take six steps Everybody would take six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then they would stop. They would offer sacrifices. They would praise God. They would sing. They would worship God. They would dance. They would make noise. They would, they would play upon the instruments. And then they would take six more steps and offer sacrifices. And they would do it again. Finally, it arrives to Jerusalem. No doubt it was a a long event. And when you go and you read the story and read the recollection of it, man, the people are ecstatic. The people are ecstatic. Finally, God is at the center. Finally, after years of dismissing God, they are welcoming the presence of God in their lives. You see, listen, for years, they had not sought after God like they should have. As a matter of fact, 1 Chronicles 13, 3 it's summarized this way. Let us bring again the ark of God to us for because we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Hey, they neglected God all those years. My king, this kingdom, David says, is not gonna be set up that way. And so now here they are. God is coming back into focus, center thought, center stage, and yet there's one person, Michael or Michelle, David's wife. She's not a part of anything. As a matter of fact, as you read the end of the story, we would discover that she is standing upon a window of the new palace that was built for David and for the family. And she's looking out at her husband. And David, he's, he's not dressed like a king. There's no crown. There's there's no royal robe. As a matter of fact, David is dressed like everyone else. He's dressed like a Levite, like a, a common servant, just wearing a, a linen ephod. Just a linen tunic is all David would be wearing. And what is he doing except that he's out there with all the people, jumping and dancing and praising God. And Michael, she's thinking, uh, this is embarrassing. She's thinking, who does he think he is? Doesn't he know he's the king? This isn't dignified. The scripture goes to say that David would lead the people in singing a song. That song is listed for us in 1 Chronicles 15. And then David, he blesses the people and he gives them food and drink. And he says, hey, take this home and celebrate with your families the greatness of God. 
David takes his portion. 2 Samuel 6 tells us. He goes home to celebrate with his family. And Michael meets him at the door. She says, do you feel good about yourself? David, do you realize that you were embarrassing me? And you're embarrassing your, your title of king? Dressed like everybody else, acting like everybody else. I mean, come on, David. David, you're the king. David, we're somebody. David, we're special. David, we're not like the common people. Let them do that. You have some dignity, David. You can go and read what David says to her. He says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I wasn't concerned about my name. I wasn't concerned about my kingship. This was never about me. No, this was about the fact that he is king and I serve him. This was about praising God. This was about bringing him back to the center. And David actually says it this way. He says, I am no greater or no less than anyone else. I'm just one person trying to praise a great God and point to him. And he's bold enough to tell her, if you think I did wrong, give me another chance and I would do the exact same thing again. He says, I'm not apologizing for anything I did. I want us to see this tonight, that while everyone is praising and celebrating and thanking and rejoicing in who God is, Michael is cynical. She's critical. She's self-centered. She's sarcastic. For years, for years, I've thought, well, Michael was justified a little bit. Because I thought that the, the linen ephod was David just dancing around in a loincloth. That's what people taught for years. But you can go and look it up, and I don't believe it was just a loincloth. The Bible talks about the linen ephod being like a tunic something. And you know, you know what she was so upset by? She was so upset because David was acting like a common person praising God instead of a king sitting on a throne. You know what Michael is? Michael, she's a picture of times when we're more concerned with what people think than following and focusing on God. We're more concerned with what people think than we are with what God thinks. The Bible actually implies in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse number 23, that, that God actually stopped the womb of Michael because of this. She had no children after this. You know what? How often, how often do you and I, do we go through our Christian life and we're so concerned, we're so concerned about the opinions of others and we give no thought to what God thinks. Now, I'll tell you tonight that we, we understand this, that we should, always, we should always go through life caring about our testimony before people, right? We should, we should have a care about how we reflect God. But that's not what Michael was doing in this passage. She wasn't hoping that she was having a good testimony and David wasn't. No, 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 no. She was concerned that this was under their position. 
Don't you know who we are? David, we're royalty. David, we don't praise God like other people praise God. We, we praise God, we, we do it our own way. David, we don't get around and worship God like they worship God. No, 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 no. We worship God our own way because we're, we're dignified, David. And while you and I should have a care about our testimony before people, really it all boils down to we should really care about what God says more than what man says. We should care about how God views us more than how other people view us. And all too often, we can, again, we can just be so concerned with the opinion of people more than the opinion of God. Let's think about church. We can come to church and we can be so consumed with our persona, with our appearance. We can be so so consumed with how we look that we neglect the heart that's focused upon him. We can worry at church about acting just right or, or looking just right. And we're, we're concerned about what other people think about, think about us more than we are that we would meet with God. Maybe afraid to, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, afraid to, to say amen, afraid to lift up the hand while we sing a song, afraid to get involved, afraid to serve, afraid of all those things. Not because of, of maybe some uh, uh, timidness in our life, but because we're concerned about what people think. In our daily Christian life, we can neglect God's presence and we can neglect making him the center of our life because we just get concerned with what people think. Can I say tonight that God will never be in the center of our life. We will never know his presence at its fullest when we're worried about the opinions of others more than we're concerned about the presence of God. Tonight, God will not be at the center of our life and we'll never know his presence. We'll never know his real presence until we make life all about him. Got to make it all about him. You got to truly give him the throne. You got to really give him center stage. You got to really come to the place where you say, God, I'm not concerned about everybody else's opinion. God, I'm not concerned about about doing things my way or a way of convenience. God, I'm I'm not going to ignore your word. God, everything is going to be about you. In this chapter, after David and the people, after they turn back to the word of God, you can go read the celebration that takes place from verse 12 all the way down through verse number 23. And what you will find is as they move the ark of God, as they move it God's way, they really make God their main concern. They focus all of their worship and praise upon him. There was a decision to praise God and worship God regardless of what was going around them. Literally every six steps, stopping to sacrifice, praise, and sing. They celebrate God. They sacrifice to God. They pray to God. They sing to God. They bow before God. All of that in this passage. You know what they understood? It was all about him. Their concern was not what every else, what everybody else was doing or how everybody else was doing it. Their concern was not about the Philistines. It was not the enemies. It was not the past. No, their concern was one thing. Their one thing was God. They just simply came to the place where they were saying, God, We understand that it's all about you. Can I say tonight that when God, when he is the central theme of your life, 
you will experience God's presence. And I'm not talking about some weird, superstitious, obnoxious thing that takes place. I'm not talking about that. Just talking about a, a leading in your life, a guiding in your decisions, an, a, a wisdom that's beyond you. You see, when God is the central character of life, of your life, you'll experience his presence the fullest. Unfortunately, tonight, for many of us, we miss out on the presence of God because we do things our way. We ignore his word. We're consumed with ourselves. We're concerned with what people think and what people say. And tonight, I just want to remind you that God wants his presence to be active in your life. Oh, listen, once you receive Christ, he's there. Once you receive Christ, he's not leaving you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's always present with you. But I'm not just talking about him just being a tag along. I'm talking about him being the driver. And if we neglect him being at the center, we miss out on his presence. And many Christians, they have a lot of talk with no presence. They have a lot of answers and knowledge with no presence. There's a lot of churches with a lot of program, a lot of things, a lot of accomplishments, but no presence. And I'll tell you tonight, as I studied for this message, man, I was challenged because I don't want to be that Christian. I don't want to be that pastor. I don't want to be that church. I want to be the one that says, God, I want your presence, so I'm going to keep you in the center. I hope tonight that you'd make that decision for this week. This week, God, I'm not going to ignore your word. Every day, God, I'm going to focus upon you. I'm going to follow your word. God, I'm going to make you the center of my life because I want to experience the real presence of God. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.